Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Jason Mervin, the lead IT specialist for the U.S. Mint at West Point. Jason, thanks so much for taking the time to join me. Certainly. So, Jason, we are talking today about copper wires, POTS, plain old telephone service, uh, something that we all thought we moved on from years ago, something that we all thought we are all voice over IP and something we're on the Internet. But people still have, and agencies specifically still have, these uh, plain old telephone systems. They still have copper wires. Why is the Mint looking to move away from POTS, and, and what's the challenge there? Give me, give me a little background about what you all are trying to address. Well, technologically, the reason why we need to do this is because we can't get the service from the major carriers any longer. We can continue to get it from resellers like Mettel, who our current contract is with, but we're trying to uh, do business as best we can in alignment with what Treasury directives are. Treasury has this uh, massive contract called the Enterprise Infrastructure Systems Contract. It's kind of like the old FTS 2000. The most recent one was the Networks Contract from AT&T. Those contracts say you have to do business in a certain way. Well, the Mint is kind of a unique organization in that we can't always do that. We aren't subject to the the Federal Acquisition Regulation, which is under U.S. Code, uh, I believe it's 31 U.S. Code 5136. I have to quote that sometimes to people when they say, why can't you do what we tell you? So that's the reason. We, we are very unique in terms of our procurement processes. We could not take part of this Enterprise Infrastructure Solutions contract, and so we had to navigate the best way that we could to try to satisfy both. And that fell to me. And it fell to me back in 2017 initially, and it's fallen to me again. Interesting that I think people probably don't realize uh, that there are some differences for the Mint. I know, for instance, the FAA doesn't fall under the federal acquisition regulation. Uh, is the Mint, it, do you have your own, generally speaking, set of ac- acquisition regulations on top of the FAR? Or uh, again, I know you're not necessarily an acquisition guru, but, but from a 50,000 foot view, What's the setup look like? Sure, I, I can do a thumbnail sketch. Um, basically, we have our own people within the uh, the contracting business, and we also have to do contracts within, you know, we, they have to be under Treasury from the Bureau of Fiscal Service. So we have some special people within the Bureau of Fiscal Service who draw up our contracts for us. Uh, but the kind of catchphrase I always like to use with the mid is we make money. So that's why we can't take advantage of the FAR. So, you know, we're, we're not taking money out of the general fund. We're putting it back into the general fund. And so that's the reason why we're not allowed to take advantage of some of the things within GSA contracting is that that's all predicated on the idea of pulling money out. Interesting. I don't think I, in all the years I've been doing this, I, I kind of understood that the dynamic that the Mint is facing. So when you talk about the move away from copper wires, you said, as you said, it kind of fell to you. The challenge is what? Like, give me a sense of, of how you're going about this idea of, of moving away and, and why is it important to understand that, yes, these served a purpose, but they, they maybe no longer do. One of the most important directives I have is make make sure things stay up. I mean, you don't want to suddenly not get dial tone. And in keeping with that, we have to make sure that the Mint has the best redundancy and stability and the ability to continue operations as possible. And sad to say, the, the tier one companies, which are the big the big telephone companies, the ones people are most familiar with are AT&T and Verizon, but there's also one called GTT, which is what uh, Mettel was reselling for us. Those are simply not making the offer of, of supporting copper any longer. And it's because 
the technology has moved on sufficiently, they don't want to have to support the copper either. And having seen, unfortunately, now my fair share of, of dusty telephone cabinets, you can kind of realize why they don't have the ability. They don't want to keep people trained on obsolete skills. It's only the, the old bear in the woods kind of people who have the skills any longer. So, for example, when it came to ADSL lines, which I can't even rattle off the acronym, uh, what, what the acronym means, basically all of ours here at West Point are wired with what's called spin-down connectors. And we went through four separate contractors trying to find anybody who knew how to wire one of these spin-down connectors. And, you know, all these kids that, you know, it's not that they don't know what they're doing, but they know what they're doing on regular copper networking cable, not on these archaic lines with different gauges. The spin-down connector, as it happens, is a way of, of wrapping the wire with a special tool around a post, and you'll only see them in the in the most ancient telephone closets out there. Well, I now have a spin-down tool, just in case a Verizon tech gave me one and said, hey, you know, if you ever run into this again, just use this. Don't try to don't try to find somebody because you won't. So it's uh, it, it's because the technology has simply moved on so much. Everything is wired with Cat5, Cat6, uh, fiber. You know, nobody's really using these in this old, old stuff any longer. We have a, a device which extends our connections out from West Point, uh, from from the uh, the main post at West Point, which, you know, West Point is an army post as well. And what passes for the central office for a tel- telephone group is in a old basement level of one of the castle type of buildings at West Point. Well, that thing has a matched unit, which we basically are able to transfer our copper along a fiber connection to get the three miles out here. And that device has been here as long as I've been in New York, which is over 23 years at this point in time. So, you know, when you're dealing with this ancient equipment, it's really hard to get support for it. It's really hard to find the parts for it. If you find the parts, chances are they're resold. They're resold. They're not going to be manufactured any longer. So it's just it's a combination. I'm not going to say it's a perfect storm, but it just gets harder and harder. And it's no wonder that the that the tier one carriers just don't want to be bothered with it anymore. The other challenge, though, at the same time, is you have a lot of systems that need to rely on copper wire. The SCADA systems, the fire alarms, the elevators. So you have to find the right balance to say, okay, how do we get rid of these old technologies, but still have these older technologies that rely on them work. Are you going through that now too? Is that part of this process? Well, some of that's outside of my purview because I'm I'm only one of the people working this issue from the larger IT infrastructure and production, uh, which is where we actually do the metal stamping and the and the and the fabrication. That all is for the vast majority of the equipment is all on standard networking already. It's not using telephone capabilities any longer. Uh, there's a couple. Uh, most of the time, it's things that we have to arrange a way to have a contractor either dial in or have some sort of remote access. Again, the Mint it has to be very secure facilities. Um, and so we're actually implementing some modular solutions, which are a combination of firewall, tunneling device, and a couple of other things in order to enable point-to-point connectivity. So we really don't rely on the telecommunications sector any longer when it comes to that stuff, which is a very good thing in a lot of ways. If you if you move away from the old telecom mentality and move towards networking technologies and internet-enabled um, activity, then you're able to deal with far more solutions, far more uh, people with the skill set and things of that nature. One of the things when you talk about 
the different sets of communications. I mean, I think you know we're on we're using Teams, and you know, people obviously can't see that, but that's a good example. Uh, there's a whole lot of different technologies that are out there. Is your job part of trying to find the balance between okay, how do we switch to these new ones, but also support the current mint? You, you mentioned earlier, you don't want to, anything to break, and if you break something, that's a lot worse than maybe dealing with the old technology. How are you finding that striking that right balance? Happily, I am not the only person involved in moving forward. This is not exactly an extra duty. I kind of was landed this as a, hey, we need to have somebody good taking care of this stuff and not to, to you know shine my own image here, but I have wound up dealing with technology like this, a lot of old technology. So it's more we need to make sure that the old technology is maintained while we move on to the newer stuff that we can. And of course, some of that is going to be, you, you have to maintain old technology for a lot longer than you wanted to. And that's one of the things that unfortunately the Mint winds up having to do. Even though we have a lot more leeway with spending, we have to make sure that we have people who are able to have the new project work and the new product is able to to meet the needs both internal and external com- customers have. And so, for example, one of the things that kind of spills over a little bit is um, electronic messaging, because some of that used to be on older audiovisual technology, and that means telecom. So, like all these old things like tri-bri boards and ISDN lines and things like that. Some of that stuff, uh, which I'd had to deal with even before coming to the Mint. That stuff is so obsolete or so passe now that you wind up trying to find a good solution on the network and you wind up going through a a couple of different ones before you actually get one that meets your needs. Sometimes I wind up having to keep the old solution out there for a number of years before we find a good solution going forward. A fine example of that was the, the police had an old mesh network made out of old T1 lines And those T1 lines wound up staying up, I think, a total of four years past their expected end of of service. So, you know, having to maintain this this fragile mesh network rather than being able to transfer to the Internet is one of those things that sometimes, you know, people don't think about the challenges maintaining the back end, but they're they're pretty significant. Is the Mint's long-term goal to eventually move off of the copper wire and plain old telephone? And if so... What still needs to get done? What are some of those things that you're still, okay, here's on the to-do list to get us in, as much as possible into the new technologies? Well, that's that's a good question. That actually is my nightmare right now. I feel like Frodo with the ring of power and this eye staring down at me all the time. I mentioned that we had initially done a contract to try to get multiple different contracts into one or two consolidated EIS-like contracts. That was back in 2017, 2018. We are now going through the next round of that where we are going to be changing from what's called CSVS, which is circuit switched voice service, which is the copper, to IPVS, which is internet protocol switch service. And that's the new contract. It is not actually the Mettel contract, which we currently have. Mettel is, is helping us with that, but unfortunately, because TEIS took a while to, to be awarded, because it turns out we couldn't even comply with it, Mettel is going to be enabling us to, to take our time with AT&T on this migration. The big concern that I have is if I run into something that is not only on POTS, but has to stay on POTS, then I'm going to have to have a different contract and I'm going to have to work with a new carrier uh, to provide that. And unfortunately, what it may wind up being, uh, a friend of mine in the commercial civilian environment wound up having to deal with 
a couple of what's called LECs or local equipment carriers, which means the individual telephone central office people, because the central office is the only way you get the, the power on the old on the old POTS lines out there. If you've got an, uh, one of the more modern internet-enabled service, you're still dependent on your local power. So anything with the old copper technology, we're going to wind up possibly having to negotiate separately. Jason, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion. My guest today is Jason Mervin, the lead IT specialist for the U.S. Mint at West Point. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Jason Mervin, the lead IT specialist for the U.S. Mint at West Point. A lot of agencies, as they go through EIS, the Enterprise Infrastructure Solutions Contract, and I know you all are kind of using it and, and taking some advantage of it, but the big deal is, okay, what's your inventory look like? What do you have today, and, and what can you move? What can you upgrade? What can you change? I imagine you all have done an inventory, but no inventory is perfect and no inventory has can capture everything. Is, is that the concern that something will be somewhere and then all of a sudden you'll be like, oh, we didn't know we had that and that has to stay on pots. That That's kind of the concern you're dealing with. To a degree. And this is the Frodo with the ring feeling. It was something that I went through back in 2017 and 2018, which was the migration onto Mettel. And that was a, a torturous process. Again, not to beat my own drum, it turned out I wound up saving about 200000 a year because the Mint had been not closing and shuttering services properly. And I wound up not only doing that, but I continue to do so to this day with contracts that might've been out there since 2015. Having inventory control is just an essential part of, get, of making sure you know what you've got to migrate. I started turning over rocks and finding all kinds of things out there. And again, it's because of telecom, it, it winds up crossing into a, diff, a bunch of different things. So sometimes there was stuff both here and at Fort Knox, which it turns out were actually radio services that were integrated into the telephone because they had some sort of, you know, tripwire or some sort of hotline or something, th something of that nature. So that's a, a difficult thing to, to get a handle on. And even once you get a handle on it, as I did back then, you have to make sure you maintain that control and you still know what's out there. And uh, I think I'm up for the challenge, but of course, there's always that creepy, f creeping feeling that there's something that either was modified or something that changed or something that didn't change. And now you're, you've got a big whoops ahead of you. Um, fax machines, that's a no brainer. We've got that taken care of because that's integrated into our, into our existing uh, telecom services with internet service. So in other words, there's a translation from fax to the, to the internal system. So that's not a problem, but that's just, that's not the only thing. There's also some other things like secure phones. You know, we've got a secure phone system that's on IPVS, but we just don't know how well that's going to do the translation. We've got other things that belong partially to other agencies, like being able to issue the, the PIV cards with the US access contract. You know, we don't know for absolute certain whether that contract is going to be happy with what we do with AT&T. We, we think it will. You know, we think we're not going to have uh, uh, Department of Homeland Security saying, what the heck are you doing? But, you know, it's always there's always so many different moving pieces. You've got to make sure you've got a handle on all of them. And so, you know, it's, it's uh, keeping me up at night sometimes. We definitely don't want you to keep you up at night, right? But let's talk a little bit about the other piece of this is continuity of operations. I mean, a lot of people, I'm one of these people who I've kept my copper wire at home and I kept it because, well, with the 
electricity goes out and I can't charge my phone, I always have my my copper wire. People go, you know, hear my phone ring and go, you still have that. Is Coop also a concern of, of okay, do we really want to get everything off of, of copper wires or, or everything on over IP? Is that also a piece to this discussion? It's a primary concern. We like to be able to have redundancy. We like to be able to have that just-in-case capability. We've held on to five copper wire connections here at West Point for probably 12 years, maybe longer. They've never been integrated into our PBX. They've, they've always been extra. They're not used, but just in case, we can pick those up, and they're powered by the CO there on West Point, and so we can reach there. The, the thing that, that you have to kind of evaluate now going forward is whether or not those connections are really going to be meeting the needs that you have. We had some issues, people who are thinking about net, about the news here at West Point, we had floods first week of July. They literally knocked out everything in this vicinity. And it didn't actually knock out West Point, but the satellite tower that we feed off of was knocked out because people don't necessarily think, I mean, people understand after 9-11 when there was, when there was no throughput of, of satellite carriers, uh, you know, people forget that these satellite signals aren't the same as the cell signals that they get. And so cell signal, it goes through a local tower, which goes under dark fiber, you know, fiber connections somewhere else. So if you lose power to that tower, you're not going to be able to connect to, to anybody with your cell phone. Well, that hit us here at West Point. So we actually had, a, in addition to water coming into the police uh, command center, we had no cell signal. The bombing, the Christmas Day bombing there in, in uh, Nashville, Hit, impacted Fort Knox, you know, and and that's the thing is that we're we're part of one big interconnected world, and people like to have copper. I mean, I I too love copper. My my background is actually as an infantry officer, and so I'm very much of the if it ain't broke, don't fix it, and also uh, you know Murphy's law kind of thinking. But at the same time, sometimes those things are are so unique in terms of their potential use that it's really not worth supporting them any longer when you've got superior technological options to 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 use. So for the most part, I'm going to be discussing this with the various IT managers as well as the site managers and the site securities for the various Mint sites, whether we are going to continue to hold on to those copper connections that may or may not be in use or whether they are going to have cell capabilities that are sufficient to handle those issues. And so that's basically one of the things we're going to have to go, go through on a case-by-case basis. Not everybody's got the same cell coverage. We are using distributed antenna systems, which I'm also dealing, you know, I play a pretty significant role with, with working on those. Those are the things that we are probably going to be switching to. Uh, people wonder why we would do that, why, why, why we would need to use them. And it's like, well, most of the mints are either fabrication plants or vaults. And so, you know, you ha- you can't place a cell call from from inside of a vault very easily without one of these. It's almost like, uh, if, as you said, a retired member of the military infantry officer. Uh, when you get into the depths of the Pentagon, there's no cell service. So for years, they've talked about adding Wi-Fi, better Wi-Fi connectors to the Pentagon. I think they finally did, if I remember correctly. <laughs> but it's probably the same thing as a vault. Let me back up, maybe take the 50,000-foot view for a second, Jason, because if someone's listening to this and going, okay, well, that's Mint has its own problem. I'm not part of Mint, right? Or I'm uh, I'm different. Is this POTS issue, as far as you can tell, as far as you, if you've talked to others or, around 
the community? Is this an issue every agency is facing in one way or another? Again, I know you can't speak for every agency, but this is not just a mint-only issue, is, is the better question. No, it's that, it's definitely not mint-only. Our mint telecom engineer had sent me a, um, some information because when we first encountered this, we, we knew it was out there. We we had actually worked on the contract, and I when I worked on the contract back in 2018, we knew this was something that was in the offing eventually. It is something which is not on everybody's radar. It is something that's going to impact everybody because basically the tier one carriers are going to stop agreeing to provide hot service. And it's not that they have to, but they are going to be given commercial you know, directives from their management. We aren't going to support POTS because the amount of money we have to sink into doing so is not economical. We're going to spin off our POTS service to somebody else. And in most cases, that's the local equipment carriers. So like if I wanted to get to, to maintain those POTS lines here in, in West Point, our local equipment carrier is Verizon, even though our, our contract is going to be with AT&T. So they all resell each other's services anyways, which people are getting used to the idea of how that works. Well, the local Verizon company would be the one that sells us the pot service if we want to maintain that. And it might just be one or two lines. For example, we have connections for AT&T to use to maintain their equipment that are POTS lines. Well, AT&T wants to sell us their cell modem ability to do that work. But if that uh, if that is not an option because we're in a vault, then we might wind up having to go with just the copper vended from uh, Verizon. And in that case, that'll be a separate contract. So unfortunately, after having pulled down the number of contracts from something in the teens to three, we may wind up expanding some of them again in order to accommodate these essential services. Jason, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion. My guest today is Jason Mervin, the lead IT specialist for the U.S. Mint at West Point. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Jason Mervin, the lead IT specialist for the U.S. Mint at West Point. Are there technologies, generally speaking, that can substitute, replace these POTS connections that maybe one time would only say, hey, we can only use you know, copper wires, but now the newer technologies allow us to get ahead of the copper wires or get, get, get off the copper wires. I mean, maybe not for every single thing, but for a majority. Is that, is that what you're finding that you're able to, again, mostly move away from copper wires, but, but it's not an easy move? I think that, I mean, I, I can't give you that accurate of a technical answer, even though I should be able to. No, no, um, but I, I guess I, I guess just based on your research and the things, you, the folks you're talking to, like, are, are you finding that there's, okay, there is, there are solutions out there that can solve this problem, maybe not 100%, but we you can get to the 80 or 90% mark. I think that's, I think you can actually get to the 100% mark, but the problem will face the agencies of how much money will they need to invest in making that switch? And that's really the kicker. Now, the Mint has a, a lot better fiscal ability than most of the agencies that I've dealt with. Again, we make money. Um, so we don't have to worry about, you know, we don't spend a dime all year and then suddenly we have $8 million to spend in September. We don't have to worry about that cycle. So we have a little bit of better ability to plan and to, to schedule and to budget. 
the thing is that we have to maintain a lot of old equipment and that old equipment is where the problem lies. So if, when you're having to take care of legacy uh, systems, and of course the Mint always uses um, industrial control systems, and as you say, SCADA, uh, but we also have lab equipment, we have building systems, um, as you mentioned, fire, police alarms. We don't have to worry about police alarms, thankfully, because we've got our own police force. We don't have to do that. Um, but just some of the some of the technological shortcomings of that are problems in themselves. So being able to move off of those, you know, if you can, if you have management that's got a a, a positive attitude towards developing the organization rather than just maintaining the status quo, and the Mint's definitely got that, then it makes it a lot easier. If you've got a, some, a company that, or if you've got an agency or a company that just wants to have the, if it ain't broke, don't fix it mentality, which unfortunately does happen with pretty much everybody because, you know, major outlays and major projects is going to be something that are difficult, then it can turn into a more problem. And I think you hit the nail on the head because you're talking about two things here, not just the telecom piece, which is the plain old telephone and copper wires, but the technology that's re relying on it, it. It's a double upgrade. You just can't take, you know, and, and we talked about industrial control systems or lab equipment that's 15, 20, 25 years old. That's always, always was built to work one way and say, well, we'll just put that on IP or put it in the cloud. It doesn't always work that way. And so that's a, almost a double investment update and get off. And, and sometimes you're right. Sometimes it's easier just to say, well, if it's not broken, why are we trying to fix it and invest money that we may or may not have? Uh, I'm, I'm sure you run into that to, to some extent where folks were, had, you know, your, you and your, your leadership said, hey, we'd love to move off, off of it, but it, it's not the right time. Well, and that's exactly what that T1 mesh I referred to earlier was, was that the police had a, a mesh network, which probably would, had been a significant investment at the time, there was nobody managing the T1 connections. Um, we, the IT branch, us, we wanted to move to the network, um, regular network connections using our MPLS cloud, which was treasury and, and, and secure. And um, it was that the police were doing enough things with the network that not enough people in the police branch understood or could get off of quickly enough that it, it wound up causing the, the, the cycle to be four years rather than one year. It wasn't going to be the clean break we had envisioned. So that's that's just emblematic of a bunch of different things. I mean, we've got various um, uh, issues with production equipment where the HMIs, they're built on old Windows machines. And so, you know, we have to upgrade those, but oh boy, this machine, nobody makes the equipment for it any longer. Nobody knows how to do the translation. Do we want to go through all this trouble or do we want to just wait and, and get a, get a next get the next piece of equipment the next time it comes out? So that, that definitely what goes for the IT branch uh, and, and the production the production with IT definitely goes for the telecom as well. Jason, this is one of those conversations that we don't have too often, and I think people may not think about, right? The average IT person, the average mission person probably doesn't really even know if they're on IP or copper wires, but they probably should. Is there any advice I could ask you to, to throw out there for folks beyond maybe the fact of, you know, know your inventory, know what you have, and, and hopefully your budget and support from the top, but is there anything that you've run into, potholes or any sort of roadblocks that you say, hey, if I only knew that before, I, I would have done better or been more successful or move faster or how, however you want to kind of kind of describe it. The advice is already stuff you you covered with with knowing your inventory because having that inventory match reality is is pretty critical. But there is one thing which I really wish I'd known ahead of time. I believe that most of the telcos, whether they're tier one or not, have a policy that they will not disconnect a line unless they receive 
an explicit order to do so. This works to their benefit because they keep charging the government. And so I am still trying to close out um, lines that are almost like ghost accounts with multiple um, multiple entries in the GSA uh, 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 billing era, um, schedules that, that are used to match them. The lines have been shut for maybe five years, but the billing still occurs. So make sure you know how to decommission those lines and do so when you've stopped using them. We've had offices in, in various areas as various projects that are that I had no idea existed, that as we're going through the inventories, we suddenly find out, oh, there's something out here in this particularly small town in West Virginia. What's that about? Um, so knowing that you that your lines will continue to, to be up in, even if you even if you um, don't think that they are, that's a very, very critical thing to do. You, you've got to make sure you you let the telco know that you are disconnecting those lines. Um, the other the the flip side of that is make sure you have them do what's called a CSR, which is the way that you get what they say your inventory is rather than just thinking you know what it is. So having having that that list of things that they're charging you for helps match up what you're what you're going to wind up closing on on the back end. Jason, I very much enjoyed our conversation. Uh, we're unfortunately out of time. Uh, I learned a lot about copper wires and the challenges agencies and specifically the U.S. Mint is facing. Uh, so I really appreciate you sharing your knowledge and your time. So let me thank my guest. Jason Mervin is the lead IT specialist for the U.S. Mint at West Point. Jason, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation about plain old telephone systems and moving to new technology. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. For this segment of the show, my guest is Don Parenti, the Vice President of Federal Sales and Solution Architecture at Mattel. Don, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to join me. Thank you. It's been a while since we caught up, and this is really a, a, an interesting catch-up because what we just heard from Jason Mervin at the U.S. Mint is some of their challenges, why they're moving off this copper wires, why they're moving off pots, plain old telephone systems. And this is not a challenge that U.S. Mint is facing alone. So, Don, this is where you're going to come in and kind of give us that 50,000-foot view why is the U.S. Mint maybe one of many agencies who are facing this big challenge of saying, hey, the copper wire infrastructure, the POTS infrastructure just doesn't work for us anymore, but moving off is difficult. Talk, talk a little bit about that issue. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, the, you know, it's sort of twofold. I mean, first and foremost, the, the, the challenge that they're facing, they're not alone. Uh, it, it's mostly driven by the fact that the FCC has allowed the incumbent local exchange carriers, or the ILEX as we call them, to um, to start shutting down their copper plant. And you know, this is something that they've been wanting to do for a long time. Obviously, with the evolution of modern technologies, IP, all of that, the incumbent providers to turn down the copper plant. And you know, very recently, FCC gave them the green light to do so. So we're starting to see you know this accelerating where disconnect notices are being sent out to all the government agencies and, and other customers, for that matter. As far as I think the second half to your question is challenges that they, they might face. Some products and services can't be moved to IP, right? So you have a phone on your desk. It's a POTS phone. It's a voice phone. Traditionally, you might move that to an IP telephony-based uh, telecommunication system, but there are specialty lines out there that really can't move. So you look at things like fire panels, security alarms, SCADA systems, elevator control systems. They are all natively analog, and they are not going to be upgraded to IP anytime soon because doing so would be 
you know, would require replacing the entire system. So the the need for, you know, basically a POTS handoff to those devices that then converts the POTS call to an IP-based call is required. And that's where we're starting to see uh, quite a bit going on in the industry. So Don, for people who maybe aren't in this telecom world like you are, like what we heard from Jason Mervin from The Mint, the issue is copper wires is what we've been using for our entire life for most people. You know, maybe some, yeah. you know, people in the in their 20s or 15 to you know, 10 to 15 year olds never heard of a copper wire. But and the agencies have built this infrastructure around the copper wires. I guess the first question is, why are they going away? Is it just an expense? Is it a lack of use? Is it because you and I don't have home phones anymore? Why is this happening? Yeah, I man, I think it's probably all of the above, right? Uh, again, the the technology has evolved, right? The the plain old telephone service has, you know, basically has its roots from the original invention of the telephone. So, you know, telecommunication plants have modernized uh, quite a bit. The movement of voice over IP is a far more, or IP in general, not just voice over IP, but IP in general is a far, far more efficient protocol for routing telecommun, you know, telephone calls or telecommunications across the network. So, so there is a need to sort of modernize and evolve, right? And I think that's, you know, part of what's driving this change. And then, yeah, I mean, let's face it, a lot of people are disconnecting the number of people using, you know, home phones and and plain old telephones uh, has reduced. And there's this large infrastructure supporting a much smaller base than, than what used to be there. And then at the same time, there's these legacy systems. And, that, and that's really what you're talking about here. When you talk about elevator systems and SCADA and fire alarms, and those systems have probably been in federal buildings, contractor buildings for decades. And yeah. hey, if they work, why fix them? So what's going to happen if these systems obviously aren't updated or they will never be turned off, but company X, agency Y will be spending, instead of pick your number, 10 cents per line, $50 yeah. per line, because the big carriers will say, for us to keep this going, we're going to have to raise your rates in an incredible amount. Yeah, I mean, we've definitely seen the rates for pot service basically grow exponentially. I mean, looking at tariff rates on a on a, an individual pots line exceeding a thousand dollars a month, uh, which is something that you know I don't think anyone ever would have predicted years ago. So the cost is going up, but I think the the bigger issue here is that the service is going away, right? So. If you have a fire alarm panel in a building and it works just fine, you're not going to replace the entire fire alarm just because the POTS line is going away. There's there's a need to, again, to come up with a POTS replacement. And of course, that's that's what we're talking about here is, you know, how do we still serve from the panel's point of view, it looks like a POTS line, but from the network's point of view, it looks like an IP uh, telef telephony call. And that, that's what we're talking about here. It's sort of retrofitting what's there. Because otherwise the expense of you know swapping out fire panels that are perfectly good uh, or swapping out whole elevator systems uh, that are perfectly good, it just doesn't make any sense. So you know, the good news is there are products on the market, right? And, and there are capabilities out there. And of, of course, Metel has a capability we call PIAP. But um, that's the that's the focus here is retrofitting the systems and and getting to it before it's too late, right? Every once in a while, we you know we get calls from customers saying, "I just received a disconnect notice from my you know local phone provider. What do I do?" And of course, we help them. But you know, I think the the key here is to plan, right? Get ahead of it, know that it's coming, and and start working on the replacement now. You mentioned IT, you know, professionals like myself and and Jason and others. We know it's coming. 
but does the fire marshal know it's coming? Does the facilities manager know it's coming? Good IT teams, of course, are getting that message across, but I, I think there's plenty of folks out there that, you know, need to learn um, that it's coming and, and, um, and start planning ahead. You mentioned planning ahead. So let's talk a little bit about the U.S. Mint. Mattel is working with the U.S. Mint around this move. Can you talk a little bit about what that uh, effort is like and, and how you all are, are helping them out? In that particular case, it, it's the retirement of legacy, what we call TDM, Time Division Multiplex uh, services, which are inherently built on copper. So, you know, it's interesting. We talk a lot about pots and pots transformation, but, it you know, this this uh, copper retirement as sort of a catch-all or, or umbrella term is really the key here. It's not just pots going away. It's all services delivered over copper. So those traditional T1s and what we used to call PRIs or primary interface ISDN, those services are going away as well and need to be replaced with an IP-based service or a SIP-based service. And that's what we're working with the Mint to do. Jason went into some detail from the Mint about how this works. Maybe walk me through it. Is this a matter of, okay, understanding what you have, understanding those connections between this type of system and the copper wires and what interface can, can, can be that translator? What goes into replacing this? I think if I'm an agency who goes, oh, no, I have this problem too, what should they know about what you're doing with the Mint that, that could apply to any agency or any company? It's really important to note that the challenge that we're facing isn't isn't a singular challenge. It's a multifaceted challenge. When you start looking at the copper going away, you might have, you know, again, voice lines that could be replaced with IP telephony or IP handsets and move to a like a hosted IP based uh, telecommunications platform. You might have these specialty lines that require these types of transformation capabilities, um, like we talked about, uh, where it still looks like pots for the um, you know, for the, for the panel, but, uh, but looks like IP to the network. And then, you know, and then, you know, taking it up a, a notch, you have the more traditional PBX uh, or private branch exchanges that, that occur, you know, that are, you know, exist inside of an agency. And those are often served with larger trunks that are delivered over copper. And again, those are those T1 PRIs uh, that ultimately, you know, need to be replaced with some IP based technology. So when you sort of look across the continuum, this copper retirement is impacting a lot of different um, applications that are running on networks. And the key in, in the spirit of planning is to get together with a provider and say, this is what I have. This is my inventory of all things that are being, you know, fed by copper plant and put together a plan that spans all of those and look for, because there's no one, there's no one solution that solves them all, right? It's a combination of capabilities. So going through that inventory, matching up the, the proper catch product is, is really uh, the key here. When you have conversations with agencies, do they realize that the copper, the pots, that this infrastructure is going away? Or again, you mentioned like the IT folks, the telecom folks may, but has it reached that next level? What are those conversations like? IT folks definitely know, right? I mean, it's, it's definitely getting out there. It, it probably you know took a while, but I, I think everyone's on board now. It's become so real. And I think enough disconnect notices have gone out that everyone's seeing it. It's slowly working its way into, again, the facilities teams, the fire marshals, those folks. So it, I think it's going to depend agency by agency. Uh, location by location as to how you know widespread the information has has um, has gotten out there. So it 
you know, IT definitely other folks, like as you know, mentioned before, facilities managers who aren't really connected to the POTS world, this might be new news for them. And I think, you know, we do find that on a regular basis where we talk to someone and say, hey, you know, you know that the POTS infrastructure, the copper infrastructure going is going away. And you know, it's it's, it's interesting. Sometimes the first reaction might be, how does that impact me? And then this the second, you know, reaction is oh, wow, you know, we need to start, you know, making a plan and figuring out how we uh, how we address that. The one thing that I think stands out to me is this is not just a like something that happens at the headquarters level. Right. If you think about all these lines. OK, so I'm at Agriculture Department, Interior, Commerce. OK, that's a big thing for my headquarters. But they also have these buildings and these offices that are in every state, every city around the country who have this problem too, because this is not just a, oh, I'll put you on our new network and we're done. Is this a building by building, area by area, or, or yeah. is it a big, a big, hey, I can just plug this thing in my infrastructure and all as well? No, yeah, you, you bring up a really good point. This is, uh, there's a big footprint for this challenge. And and if you if you sort of look at the history of procuring, especially pot services, it's always been a uniquely local phenomenon, right? Where agencies were procuring, you know, the services in their regions, right? So, you know, some agencies, to your point, are more distributed than others, and they would buy the local lines from the local provider, and there's someone in that local region who's responsible for it. So yeah, uh, pots historically has not been a headquarters consolidated type of of capability over the years with voice over IP and IP telephony, some agencies have moved to some more consolidated approaches. But but again, that's just for voice, like the telephone, you know, handset that sits on a desk, moving from an analog to something that's IP based. But the specialty lines that we're that we're talking about, these elevators and fire panels and all that stuff, those are still being served by pod services that were sourced locally on local contracts, even, right? I mean, if you look at what GSA has done with the EIS contract, consolidating all those local contracts to a common contract, that's the first time it's been centralized. Before that, it was all very much distributed. So it's um it's a challenge that you know, to your point, needs to be addressed, not just in the headquarters, but also in the field. What's one or two things, pieces of advice you'd offer to agencies who maybe are either just getting started in this or didn't realize it's a problem or maybe didn't get their disconnect notice yet, but it could be coming soon. What would you tell them? Plan ahead. It is definitely coming. So engage a provider like a Metel to have a conversation and talk through what the options are and start at the same time, I'd say in parallel, start gathering your inventory. Don, I really appreciate our conversation today. Uh, and I think this is a huge issue that people probably don't know about. So I, I definitely uh, really think it's a good thing to highlight and, and make sure folks know that this is coming. So let me thank my guest. Don Prenti is the Vice President of Federal Sales and Solution Architecture at Mattel. Don, always a pleasure to catch up. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate you having me on. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.